Wake up, wake up. It's Damon and Larry. You're already the one seed 49ers fan. So it's a take care of business, even though there isn't a lot of business to take care of. Get healthy Sunday coming up against the division rival Rams. Larry, it's the game that matters the least, which means the show by definition should matter the least, but it will not. We will have an awful lot for those tuning in today. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Click like and subscribe. Larry, hello. Good morning. Good morning to you, Damon. Good morning to everybody. Hope every uh, Niner fan is getting ready for week 18. And um, man, I was so happy to see the Cardinals beat the Eagles last week because you know what? I mean, let's just say I don't know what percentage chance you want to give the 49ers of making the Super Bowl, but with the bye week, to me, that jumps dramatically. And then with the fact that they can also rest key guys this week, including Brock Purdy, I think that vaults them their percentage even higher. I don't have a lot of uh, strong feelings about the rest of the competition in the NFC. And um, I think we're going to get a trip to Vegas this year. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but I'm already checking out hotels and and looking at plans because you know what? I'm planning on being in Vegas um, in a few weeks, and I hope the Niners are as well. Well, it's a big three-night minimum stay, Larry, unless you're going off the strip. We'll talk more about that as, uh, as, as it gets closer and what your plans might look like. But this certainly is not the matchup that we expected when week one rolled around. You saw, man, you know, Rams coming in last week of the year. That game could really mean something. Or... It could mean Sam Darnold versus Carson Wentz. And I don't think anybody had that on there. What could happen in the NFL this season bingo card. But here we are. And it is a luxury that the 49ers don't have a game against the Rams. Larry, you know, you talk about the bye week and you're totally right. You know, thank God that they've got that. A healthy Niner team's a dangerous Niner team. We've done segments about that. There's a short out there that your son produced out there about that. There's a whole video out there that Kevin produced about that, that you and I were talking about. I really think that the Rams and 49ers rivalry is lopsided as it might be in the win-loss column in the regular season to the Niners' favor, this is a game that can take a lot of starch out of you. It really is. Like, if you had to, if the Niners were in a gots-to-win to win the one seed, you're playing as hard as any football game you're playing in all year long. And for them to be able to get to take their foot off the pedal a little, and as we've also said, you know, once that game starts, every single dude who's in between those chalk lines is going to be playing like that game really means something because to them it will. You never want to put a bad game on tape, but the fact that this game comes without stress and that urgency and the nature of, well, you got to play with your hair on fire because you're trying to be a one seed. It's just, I mean, it's not as, as comfortable as slipping into a jacuzzi, Larry. The, the football's never that, but it really is the exact path that if you and I were talking about, well, what is the best way for a really good team to reach the Super Bowl? It's not just one week off. It's two weeks off. It's rest for everyone across the board and not playing that all in hard on your body game before you get to the postseason. Well, as you know, I mean, heck, it could be a preseason game against the Chargers, right? You could lose anytime you put on the pads. You, there's a chance that somebody's going to be lost for the year. Anytime you suit it up. I mean, um, <clears throat> that's why, you know, right. there's Aaron Rodgers lasted four plays, four exactly. plays. 
I mean, there's the non-contact injury. You know, there's a lot of people, and and I love Steve Young, and I I love Steve Young's insights, and Steve thinks that maybe three weeks is too much rest for Brock Purdy, and I understand that. I understand where he's coming from because Steve, um, you know, really was a guy that when he was absolutely in full rhythm like he was in the Super Bowl against the Chargers, there's no stopping him. Um, but I think the 49ers are going to do the next best thing, which is they're going to, you know, Brock's going to, he took half the reps in practice this week. Uh, he's going to continue to, and they're not going to, you know, it's like, as Brock said yesterday, I'm not just going to be sitting on the couch, you know, doing nothing. He's going to be doing everything except playing, um, in the game. And it's all about, you know, I looked at into the numbers a little bit on Brock, as far as, you know, what exactly are we talking about? As far as, you know, he's a second-year player. So he's he's not, and he really didn't play full-time as a rookie until week 13. So in a lot of ways, this is his rookie year. It's his first full year. I looked up his stats at Iowa State. In college, the most games that he ever played was like 13. I think, you know, he averaged between like 10 and 12 games. He's already played 16 games and... 18 if you want to include the two preseason games that he played in and he's going to play in 21 if they make it to the Super Bowl and then when you look at pass attempts in college the most he ever had was 475 he's already at 460 so I think you know everybody's a little different I think Steve in his advanced years probably needed those reps on the field to feel like he was in rhythm and obviously it worked for him he won the ring and played awesome in that game but uh, for Brock in this situation, I kind of believe it, that Kyle has the right approach, that he that it's probably rest is probably better than rust. And then what would you rather have? Would you rather potentially have Brock Purdy rusty in that divisional round in the first couple series or potentially have him limited because of an injury or out because of an injury? And to me, that's a no brainer. And, you know, to compound on that, you want to talk about Rusty? Who might be more Rusty throwing a football than Sam Darnold, who apparently, you know, hasn't run many plays outside of victory formation this year? God forbid. God forbid something happened to Brock Purdy and you lose him in another postseason. These reps for Sam Darnold are an insurance policy. And like all insurance policies, you never want to have to call it in. You never want to actually have to cash in on those. You're just happy to pay the deductible. You're happy to make those payments to just know it's there in case you run into that rainy day, but you don't want it to start raining. The insurance policy that you never have to use is the best, but it's also good to get the rust off the insurance policies that is Sam Darnold, and we all went through this last year. You know, what's it like when the Niners lose their starting quarterback in the playoffs? The results were not good. And I don't think they'd be good this time around either. But it's good for Darnold. And I'll tell you, Darnold is going to go out there and he's going to play his fanny off in this game. Because I don't know what, what Sam Darnold thinks of his career and where it is, but I'm sure he still fancies himself someone who's got the potential to be a starting quarterback for a season or two. You know, that whole Sam Darnold is your franchise. You know, that ship has sailed. But can he be, you know, a you know, a, a, a Gardner Minshew with more pedigree. Can he be a guy who a team does turn to, to be the, the stopgap guy or the fill in until your, you know, next rookie quarterback is really ready to take over. Sam Darnold's playing for his NFL future. 
along with seasoning up to get ready. God forbid he have to go play a playoff game for the 49ers. So I think he's going to approach this in a big way. The game's got to mean something to him professionally. And just from a football standpoint, he's a California kid. He went to USC. So he's already been, you know, the, the head of the second most important team in the state of California in the, in the sport of football. Now he gets to be the quarterback of the most important team in the state of California in the sport of football. He's the Niners starting quarterback, but for a week. And I'm sure that means something to him. You can't grow up in California without feeling the gravity of that. So I, I, I hope he has a really good game, even though Larry, if he does have a good game, the Brock is a system quarterback crowd is going to get even louder, even though it won't be the same system because who knows who else is getting rested in this game. But, you know, I, I really hope that Sam appoints himself well. Like, I'm, I, I'm rooting for the guy. He has been such a good sh- soldier. He, he gambled on himself coming here. He gambled on the situation going the right way. He hasn't said a peep that has been wrong or inappropriate. You know, he's kept his mouth shut and done the job of backup quarterback well. And I hope that now the, the needle falls on him to actually go play a game. I really hope that he plays well. I do. Yeah, he he does seem like a good dude. He was on the podium yesterday. We had a chance to talk to him. Um, like and, first podium all year, right? I mean, he, backup quarterbacks don't say much usually in the NFL. Yeah, really. I mean, I've talked to him in the locker room before, and, and people are really interested. That video that I put out of the interview that I did just exploded. Tons of people um you know viewed it so because he talks so infrequently but um he you know he says all the right things you know it's funny it's it's like one of these things that you can't you can't win right it's like he said yesterday you know i hope i don't play kind of a thing you know um you know it's like i I hope i don't have to play and i know what he meant by it he's just trying to be a good teammate and say you know i hope our starting quarterback doesn't get hurt um but at the same time how would you feel if you know, you're great in grammar school. You're great in high school. You're great in college. You're a top five pick. And then you have to be so secondary that you're like, I hope I don't get a chance to get in there. It's almost <laughs> counterintuitive. It's like a radio station hires you and you're doing like a weekend weekend uh, sports update. And, and someone says, hey, Damon, Larry, would you, would you like to be in drive time on this radio station? I hope I don't ever have to do that. You know what I mean? It's like. What? I mean, um, in some ways, that's not what you want to hear. But, in you know, Sam's a good dude. He's a team guy. He has confidence in himself. I, I, I'll say this against the Ravens. I thought he came off the bench and he hadn't had any rhythm. And to me, he established a rhythm. And that in and of itself is a very significant accomplishment. He's not Brock Purdy as far as movement. He's not Brock Purdy as far as accuracy. I don't think he's Brock Purdy as far as the speed at which he processes, but he's a big, strong-armed guy with a phenomenal arm. He's probably got as good an arm as almost anybody in the league. And um, the question I would have for you is, seeing the way things went last year in the playoffs in Philly, where literally Christian McCaffrey was <laughs> taking, you know, taking quarterback snaps, would you play Sam three quarters and play Brandon Allen a quarter? Or would you give Sam all four? I would argue that if you're really trying to get your entire football team ready for the playoffs, I think a three and one split between Sam and and Allen is it works well for me. Yeah, what do you think? I'm good with it. Yes, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Anything that you think might be the best thing to do should something go wrong in the playoffs. That's what I want to see the 49ers do in this game. I want to see uh I want to see Jordan Mason get his touches. Oh, you know, I, yeah, I want no to, doubt. I I I I want to I mean, will we even see Juwan play in this game? I mean, he is having trouble getting out of this concussion protocol. Maybe they rest him just for precautionary reasons i want to see colton mckivitz have a good game and he needs to play because trent obviously would be the first of all linemen to sit down if you can sit down an offensive lineman and they probably will and look larry before we get into into the other elements of the weekend the game the season pro bowl whatever's who, who else do you think is absolutely getting scrapped in this game? Because we know for sure, Kyle said the only guy who ain't playing for sure publicly on Wednesday was Brock Purdy. Have you learned any more about who is not going in this game? I would imagine Trent Williams would have to be the first guy drafted and that he ain't playing either draft. Yeah, I don't know about Trent, though I would suspect he's not going to go. Um, <clears throat> but the guys that we know aren't going to go, Armstead. Brock Purdy. Eric Armstead, Ambry Thomas. That's right. Um, he's not going to go either. And who's the other one? There's a fourth guy that for sure is not going to go. By the way, can we give a little uh, salute to the tough guy, to Ambry Thomas, who apparently played in Washington with that broken hand and played that entire game? I didn't, Larry, I didn't see the injury report. I, I didn't know that he was suffering from a broken hand. They gave him a very soft cast. It didn't jump out on the on the film. I didn't know that he had the broken hand until afterwards. Uh, the fact that he went in that game is some uh, is you know some big boy stuff right there. And it, thank God that you don't have a high leverage game against the Rams because if they were in full go mode, that's Cooper Cup, that's Puka Nakua, that's Tutu Atwell, and to try to beat them without one of your two best corners would be more than an afternoon than anyone would want. So it's good that this game doesn't mean anything if if Ambry can't go. Yeah, Ambry's a, you know, uh, somebody said this to me once, dude's a bro. Dude's a bro's, bro. a, bro's a dude. Bro's a dude. Uh, so, I mean, there's no it question. Way. It really works either way. <laughs> it works either way. No, but Ambry's a tough guy. And Ambry's had a great resurgence in his career this year. I'm I'm really happy for him. I've talked to him three or four times. Is Every time. Hargrave sitting, right? I would imagine no Jair Brown. I would think maybe no Hargrave, though. I think, you know, they're going to try to play as many of the starters for a limited amount of time. This game's going to be a tough game to navigate on every front, right? Who plays, who sits? And I asked Kyle, I said, can you lose, you know, can can guys, can there be bad feelings in the locker room if some guys, you know, sit over others and this and that? And he's like, hey, man, it's all about communication. We exp I explained it to everybody. You know, we only have, it's not like preseason game number three or something where you can just say, hey, all the starters sit out. You guys are in civvies and we got a 90-man roster. They got a 53-man roster, and, you know, last week we were talking about, well, they could pull 16 guys off the practice squad. Actually, the rule is that you can only pull two off, and that would be a rule that I would love to see the NFL change. If you're good enough that you can make week six, uh, week 18 totally obsolete, you, the benefit should be that you can use every single one of your practice squad guys in that game that does not matter uh, to your to your seating, and I and. I think that would be a, a good rule. If you if that were the rule, you'd see everybody. You'd see Curtis Robinson and Eric Harris and Tay Martin and Jason Verrett and Willie Sneed and 
Taylor Hawkins and Jeremy McNichols and T.Y. McGill and all. You'd see all these guys. Um, instead, they're going to have to pull two. I was talking to Matt Barrows yesterday. I said, who's the who are going to be the two designations? His guess was Jeremy McNichols, the running back, and um, and uh, Taylor Hawkins, the safety. I agree halfway with him. I would definitely pull Hawkins. McNichols, I would say, stay right there, young man. I got J- I got Mason, and I'll roll Mason. But, I mean, uh, and I would go with T.Y. McGill probably as the second guy called up, or if not T.Y. McGill, maybe Eric Harris uh, because I'm a little injured at safety. But um, this is a tough game all the way around, Damon, because you got to decide who sits and who plays. That's one. Then you have to make sure that when you take the starters who are playing out of the game, that they understand that an, if an in, you only have so many guys you can dress. So if there's an injury in the game, you may have to take a starter who played the entire first quarter and is sitting there on the sidelines in the second quarter. He may have to go back in the game at that point because of an injury, and that's a dangerous situation. Then you also have um, the decision of how much is Kyle, do, does Kyle Shanahan show schematically in this game because the Rams, in my opinion, are very likely to reach, um, you know, a second game against the Niners or a third game against the Niners uh, this year in the playoffs because I think the Rams are good enough to upset some people. So, you know, you don't want to well, get anybody hurt, hurt but at the same time, you don't want to show anything. I'm I'm not worried about the show anything. I don't think there are any secrets left between the 49ers and Rams at this point. I think McVay and Shanahan know each other inside and out, and it's. I'm well, not, let's just say you play that first game, and let's just say, as Kyle has will do, is known to do, let's say you have a certain play that you think absolutely is going to go against the Rams. Don't use keep it in your back pocket. Yeah, you don't use it now. Oh, look, Kyle has a playbook that he hasn't even gotten to yet this year, right? I mean, oh, yeah. he's saving it for Maybe two. Maybe two, exactly. There's a, a second chapter in that playbook, so... I'm not worried about schematics one bit. As a matter of fact, I haven't even thought about it. But one of the things that you said, so you're telling me, Damon, congratulations. You're NFL commissioner. And you get to make a couple of your first moves, and you don't need other owners voting. You don't need a players union vote. You have total autonomy as brand new appointed commissioner of the NFL. What's one of the first things you're doing? Well, I think maybe the very first thing I'm doing, because it is the biggest problem in football, is take every official and make them a full-time, year-round, constantly training, on-the-clock official. So we'll start there to solve the single biggest problem, I think, in front of the entire sport of football. The second biggest problem is the other move that I would make, and I would instantly expand every single game day roster from you dress 53 to you dress 60. I would give every single team the right to dress 60 guys. I would expand rosters. I think um, I would expand uh, squads. The, the salary cap. Yes, more is better. And more in one place for multiple years in a row is better for the league. Football gets better with continuity. And there's so little continuity. There's so little continuity with free agency and player movement and injuries and guys missing years upon years due to you know recovery and, and rehab. So I would I would absolutely grow 
the base of guys that you get to train with year round. So maybe when you do have to go to the backup guard, your offensive line play doesn't slide dramatically in the wrong direction. I just think it would be better for the game and it would be an infinitesimal salary drop in the bucket. And why the league hasn't already considered it, I don't know. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I'm I'm a big advocate for the NFL starting their own minor league because I think the NFL doesn't even they haven't even realized how popular their sport is. Well, that's what college it, is, isn't it? Isn't, isn't I know, that what major college football there is? Yeah, but like you know, there's secondary leagues, right? There's all kinds of secondary leagues, including the CFL and and others and and, and all these little startups, and they all fail. And they all fail. Why do they fail? They fail because the branding isn't there. People don't want to root for the Boston Breakers. They want to root for the Patriots. They don't want to root for the the, the Invaders. They want to root for the Raiders or the Niners. You know what I'm saying? And if you had a springtime league that was actually minor league Niners that were players that were owned by the 49ers. You call them the 40 Miners. Guess, guess, guess who would be in serious trouble? The Giants. The Giants, not the New York Giants, the San Francisco Giants. Baseball would be in trouble if football played in the spring with minor leagues. Football's minor league would have a chance to do better numbers than major league baseball if you had true affiliations. If you could actually see, you know, um, like in the in the Canadian league, there's a negotiation list, right? You got like 60 guys or 50 guys that you own the rights to in America that from the Canadian teams, there might be guys that played at Michigan or whatever that are on the negotiation list for the Hamilton tiger cats. They don't actually play, but if you actually said goodbye to the USFL part two and the arena league and all those secondary leagues and just had did a, did even if it was a six, six week season in the spring of minor league and it was a developmental league, I really believe we're at the point now where the, football fan would absolutely watch that over baseball and it would become a major, major thing. So that's one isn't but if that, I, without, without interrupting, isn't no. that what NFL Europe was supposed to be? Right. And it was great. And it really did a great job of developing things and it really helped uh, push the, f- the sport forward abroad. Um, and that's why the NFL is going to have better luck expanding internationally or, or quicker. Uh, they'll be able to expand internationally quicker than these other leagues. Cause they have actually have a footprint, now in a foothold in those spots. But but that's one thing I would do. I would grow the practice squad. I think, you know, Kyle, if you talk to Kyle about it, man, it was four guys at one point. Now it's 16 guys. I think, you know, it would be better. I totally agree with you. That old quaint story of, oh, you know what? He was working at Kroger's on Wednesday, and on Sunday he's playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. And people are like, oh, isn't that neat? What a neat story. No, that's not a neat story. That's That's – I'm paying big time professional football prices for a guy who's bagging at Kroger's on Wednesday. That's not good. Make that guy a full-time guy. It's a multi multi-million dollar, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, really. And it's growing probably faster than almost any industry in America today. And it's great that it had mom and pop roots, but let's embrace the future and grow this thing because you're hundred percent right. Continuity means everything. All those practice squad guys, guess what? Guess what system they know? The one they're in. And guess and and that's why um you know guys can be pulled off the practice squad and the quality of the competition doesn't go down because they know what system they're in. So that helps. The other thing I think would be really great. 
system system practice squad guys Larry. it's just a system practice squad <laughs> yeah the other thing i think would be an awesome thing for the nfl to do and i think it would add so so <laughs> we got this one from dusty larry might get a side coaching job yeah i might be the personnel director for the niners minor league system uh which i would love to do oh the my god Krugers? oh my god you want to you want me to say goodbye to youtube forever make me the gm of the niners minor league team and i would just be I'd be overturning every Indiana Hoosier, every Wolverine. I'd be all oh my, I'd be every Gator. I'd be, I'd be immersed in college football. It would be awesome. Larry, awesome. you'd have to make me the announcer of that team. And I will just mercifully, just unmercifully rip you all to be like, you know, I heard that Kruger wrote a name down and put it in an envelope. <laughs> all I got to say about general manager Kruger is he's not him. Um, not him. Not uh, no, but with, I, I would say the one thing I think would add so much juice to the NFL is if the number one seed got to pick their first round opponent. Ooh, because then it's personal. Then it's and then it's also strategic. And there's injuries in football. Jalen Hurts, let's say, goes down with a hamstring injury, and you know he's out for two weeks, and the Eagles are still in the playoffs. We'll pick the Eagles in the first round because right. they're we're going against their backup quarterback. You wouldn't we know think it. We would have wanted them, but now we do based on their circumstances. Right. <laughs> Dale says GM Kruger can't shoot a jumper. Yeah, thank you. Debo, Debo told you. Uh, no, but I mean, how much ju extra juice would there be if if you know they hey, you know what? Be careful what you wish for. Uh, Niners, because, you know, we're bringing it this. I mean, it would add so much juice. NFL head coaches would hate it because it would then put them on the spot. You chose this team. You can't even beat the team that you chose. But imagine how cool that would be and how much more. Because we, what do we love? What You know, we're watching a sport like football, right? There's already hard hitting. This, it, these guys are knocking each other's block off. Guess what makes it more interesting? There was a fight in the first quarter. Oh, yeah. These teams hate each other and they already fought in the first quarter. College football. What's an what's one of the things they show you in some of these big games? Oh, well, right. you know, before the game, I mean, this happens in the playoffs with the Niners and the Niners and the Rams in the NFC championship game. Trent Williams and the guys came out and Michael Brockers and Ashawn Robinson, they were mixing it up at the 35 yard line before the game. And they show you that. Why do they keep showing us the clip of that? Because it adds to the juice. It adds to the narrative. It adds to the idea that this team hates that team and they're going to get it on and you have to watch it. And it's like, if you could pick your opponent, I mean, that's just, uh, you just turn in the screws. You, Hey guys, they wanted you guys. They chose you guys. They believe they can walk all. I mean, it would just add juice. Yeah. I think it would be phenomenal. Well, um, uh, the only thing you need for bulletin board material is we're on the schedule. So that's pretty good. You know, yeah. that, that would be an easy pivot right there. I've always thought that the NBA's all-star game should be like a pickup game where, you know, your entire, you know, tw 24 names are on the court. And then you literally have, what is it? You know, the captains are going to be LeBron and Giannis or whatever. And they pick the teams right there. Guys go back to the locker room, talk for 10 minutes, and then come out and play. You know, the only thing about that was so, so those guys are so freaking soft. They couldn't tell. Like, it's like kids have to endure more 
than NBA stars at the All-Star game. When when we were kids, all right, hey, look, hey, the coach would come out at for PE. He didn't even think twice about it. All right, guys, hey, everybody line up against the wall. Hey, Bob and John, you guys are the captains. Uh, pick teams, and let's get this going. Nobody thought anything about who's going to be picked last. What's it going to do to their psyche? Except in the NBA All-Star draft where they're like, we got to keep it a secret because somebody's feelings are going to be hurt. Right. We got to give the last player a truck or something. Yeah. To make them feel better about being picked last. Yeah. No, it's. Uh oh. What if, what if Donovan Mitchell's feelings are hurt? You know, who gives a crap? The guy makes $35 million a year and he's awesome. He's like better than like nine, 99% of all basketball players in the world. Uh, what difference does it make if he gets right. picked last in the All Star game? If anything, it's a it's a nice rare moment where guys are kind of humbled, even though they're freaking awesome. It's probably the only adversity they've ever re ever ever really run into on the basketball court in their entire lives. And no, we can't have that. But as kids, it was like, hey, you two guys, captains, pick teams, go. No, they weren't like, and don't pick Johnny last because Johnny's gonna have he's gonna cry. Right. And I'm sure I'm sure it felt bad to be picked last. And if you played enough basketball games with enough different kids, there were times where you'd be picked first and times you'd be picked last. And it, you just wore it and understood it. And it just made you a better person. But um, it's like, we can't have that. We, we can't have the NBA stars can't be made to feel feel like they're lesser. You know, I mean, it's just so, so pathetic. Uh, welcome to Wake Up. Damon and Larry, hit like, hit subscribe. I know both of our channels are offering memberships, and I don't care where you're watching this, either on my channel or Larry's channel. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your Monday and Friday mornings with Larry and I as we sort of reinvent the wheel here on YouTube with a morning show that the Bay Area really needs around 49ers games. The Niners have won 12 straight, Larry, against the NFC West. That's tied for the franchise's longest streak in their division since the 1970 merger, for goodness sakes. But the stakes are very much off the table since the one seat is already secured. Now, looking at this from the prism of the Los Angeles Rams, there's really nothing for them to gain and only the opponent changes that they would lose, but they still don't even know who that opponent is. So it's not like they're playing one way or the other, really. Uh, you know, I they can they can stay where they are, or they can fall back one more notch in the pecking order. That's that's really all that can happen to the Rams. Um, they they're sitting are, a bunch of people. Yeah, they're going with Carson Wentz, who, by the way, you want to talk about could be a little rusty. Carson Wentz hasn't thrown a football in a game this year zero pass attempts zero appearances i didn't even know carson wentz honestly was on the rams roster until i looked at the depth chart thinking all right if they go to their backup who's gonna oh carson well yeah i guess i even missed that oh, the rams added carson wentz uh, okay so um here's a guy who might I, there there could be a joe flacco element to him you know, out of sight, out of mind for so long, you forgot that when he actually was healthy, he was pretty freaking good there for a while. So maybe Carson Wentz comes on out here and shows you what the second round of a draft really looked, you know, second pick of a, of a draft really looks like after all, after he's been humbled and just wanted an opportunity. And maybe he has a great game, but you're going to see no Cooper Cup out there. I know he's not playing. 
rookie Puka Nakua is chasing a couple of milestones, and I think we'll be allowed to maybe in the first half see if he can get those milestones. But after that, Sean McVay's got to get Nakua out of this game, you would think. Um, he is four away from the all-time rookie receptions record, and he's 10 yards away from the all-time yards in a rookie season for a wide receiver. So Puka Nakua's got four catches and 10 yards to set two rookie records uh, in, in a single season. So we'll see if he's given the opportunity to do that. Could be a lot of early targeting from Wentz to just get him in, get him out, get him his records, and then sit him down. And then are they going to go with with Kyron Williams? I wouldn't run no. Kyron Williams a single snap if I'm the Rams in this game. Well, and McVay, I'll say this about McVay. He's consistent, right? Because this guy, this is the guy that never plays his guys in the preseason at right. all. And he's sitting a bunch of guys here. Almost to the point it makes you wonder if they prefer to play Dallas instead of Detroit, because it seems like they would line up with Dallas better or more likely if they lose this game than Detroit. For the Rams side, no Cooper Cup, no Joe Notaboom, no Tyler Higby. Stafford's sitting. Kyron Williams is sitting. Aaron Donald is sitting. Jordan Fuller's sitting. Um, by the way, $5 to anybody who, without looking, can name a Ram defensive player. That's not Aaron Donald. If I say name a Rams defensive player, that's not Aaron Donald. And you could come up with anybody. You probably right, deserve a hundred, a hundred dollars for every name that you can come up with. Not named Aaron Donald. If you can name the entire Rams defense without Aaron Donald, one, you probably need help Two, you're probably single and without children. Um, <laughs> three, you're the biggest NFL fan the NFL's ever ever seen. I mean, it, it, this is the ultimate no-name uh, team of all time here there's on only, defense. There, there's only one name. Honestly, Larry, I got to go to the depth chart. You know, of course. We, do for, we do this for a living. I had to go. There's only one name that I knew for sure that I didn't have to look up because I know he's there only because we used to talk about him all the time, and it's a killer Witherspoon. Yeah, Witherspoon's there. Outside he's the one guy. I, I couldn't I, I couldn't tell well, you. And not only could you not name these guys, if they walked in the room, you wouldn't know them from, uh, you know, a guy just, you know, walking around at at TJ Maxx. Right. You know what I mean, that, that, I mean it's like bouncer. <laughs> seriously, this is the Rams defense alignment uh, against the Niners, probably in this game. Jonah Williams, uh, Kobe Turner and Lorel Murchison up front. Michael Hawked, Christian Rosaboom, Ernest Jones, Byron Young, that linebacker. Rosaboom? Rosaboom. That's old man Rosaboom's kid. Oh, oh dude, dude, the Rosabooms. <laughs> that's, that's a lineage of great Rosabooms. Yeah, I mean, that remember Crook and Kipe when they didn't know somebody in spring training? They would just say, Yeah, that's old man blankety blank's kid. Yeah. You know, uh Akella Witherspoon, there's the one name. He's like, he's like incredibly well known. John Johnson, who's a good player, but, I mean, very forgettable name. Kobe Durant, Quentin Lake, and Russ Yeast. I knew Kobe started too. I knew Kobe, I, I knew that because it's two NBA players smashed into one. Yeah, Kobe Durant. C-O-B-I-E, Kobe. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, but th I'll say this. This Rams team is real offensively when they're full strength. And I'll, I will say this, too. Um, Akella Withers, or... Um, uh, Charvarius Ward, Mooney Ward, held court in the locker room yesterday. 
And they were, I, I, people were asking him a little bit about, you know, Brandon Ayuk and not making the Pro Bowl. Uh, he's, a, he's a Pro Bowl alternate. And he said, you know, there's one receiver who made it that I know Brandon Ayuk should have made it over, but I won't name him. He'll remain nameless. And it, I know it's Puka Nakua because Nakua's a rookie and Nakua's got 1,400 yards. He's been, been great. But he's done it, Damon, far less efficiently. He's got close to 150 targets where, you know, you look at Ayuk, he's got like 1,300 and change yards, but he's done it on like 97 targets. I mean, it's literally almost a third less targets than Nakua, and yet he has almost the same number of yards. Ayuk should have made the Pro Bowl over Nakua. He should have. Yeah, Nakua's a nice story, don't get me wrong. BYU kid, rookie, fifth round pick, great story. Brandon Ayuk's a better player right now. He absolutely oh, is. It's, it's more than a nice story, Larry. And the NFL does try to at least frame history as it's happening sometimes. And the greatest wide receiver rookie season of all time, I think, needs to be acknowledged. You know, maybe, maybe pay your dues already- though. I mean, Ayuk Ayuk's paid his dues. Ayuk's had a better year, really. I think Ayuk. I mean. Ayuk blocks downfield with a vengeance. Ayuk is on a team that has, you know, awesome weapons everywhere. Hasn't made one peep of, hey, man, get me the damn ball. Ayuk off the ball plays like, uh, you know, his hair's on fire. Um, even, you know, he, he he's looking for dudes to knock off their pins down the field to free up McCaffrey for an extra yard or two. I mean, he's proven it this year. Right. He's but he's put it on tape, Damon. This guy's Ayuk's run thirty five yards down the field to 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 block for somebody. I mean, I love Debo, but Debo doesn't quite do that. I mean, Ayuk is truly um, exceptional in almost every phase. So. He's the uh, ultimate Shanahan wide receiver. He really has become that. Yeah. Uh, it's why he's not going anywhere. It's why he's going to get the bag to stay right in San Francisco. There's no way Brandon Ayuk is a cap casualty and walking on another team's roster in a year from now. I just don't, I don't no. believe that at all. So um, unfortunately, wide receivers don't make t- to the Pro Bowls because of downfield blocking prowess. I, I would even venture to say it's not even really considered. It should be. It isn't. It's not part of the prerequisites that fans think about or vote upon. And I, I, I don't think you can deny Puka Nakua his place on this team. It's a shame that Brandon Ayuk didn't make it and had nine other Niners and he not been one of nine alternates named. I mean, the the, the 49ers got 18 guys who are, you know, wink and a smile pro bowlers. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is incredible. By the way, Slavic Niner down below there says Eric Harris is going to crack Puka up the middle. Maybe. Uh, if you get a chance to go to the Krug show and check out some of the videos, and interviews I've done this week, one that I'm truly proud of is the one that I did with that kid, Eric Harris, Damon. You know, there, you're one, you don't get into media unless you love a good storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. And this kid is such a great story. Um, and I read his story about a month ago, and it was like every little bit of it, like stuck in the back of my brain. And then the Niners signed him. What uh, makes to the practice squad. What makes it well, a great? He story? went. He he's from Pennsylvania. He went to a Division three school called California, uh, California University in Pennsylvania. And when he was in college, um, 
he his girlfriend and him got into a car accident and she had a serious brain injury and had some partial brain um, memory loss and she still deals with seizures to this day. Uh, they've had to overcome that. Uh, he was always an awesome athlete, but he kind of got passed over. He's a division three guy. So he's working at a potato chip factory um, there in Pennsylvania, you know, mixing the corn meal. I, he was telling me about it and he had some job on the, on, on basically like an assembly line of a potato chip factory. Um, kept working out, kept, kept did he his, name the chips. Did he, what, what, what chips were he they? Didn't, he didn't name the chips. I'm All not right. sure what I should have asked him, but yeah, he, you know, and he was working at the potato chip factory. He, he, he reads about the Hamilton tiger cats of the Canadian league holding a workout. He had to pay $80, take a day off of work. He went to the Hamilton tiger, tiger cats workout, made their team, earned a, a spot in the CFL, got noticed by NFL scouts, eventually found his way to the NFL, I think with the Saints, Falcons, and then got went to the Raiders, got a contract for, you know, as a special teamer. He excelled there for over a million dollars, took care of his family. His wife is still recovering from the injury. He's now 33. He's got four kids, um, and he's still dreaming the dream and living the dream, and 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 the Niners picked him up, and he may get a Super Bowl ring this year. And he's a good player. He's a special teamer, backup safety type, but he's athletic. He's a great guy. I did about a ten minute interview with him. I would encourage all of you guys to go check it out on on the Krug Show under the videos. And um, got a lot of great responses. You know, a lot of Niner fans really love the fact that you know, I, I, unlike everybody else who just runs right to five different guys, you know. Juice, Kittle, Purdy, Warner, you know, you know, the, the, you know, the Debo right. stars and talkers, the Star stars. Yeah, exactly. I have, a, you know, because I'm down there and I don't have anybody telling me what to do. I can do anything I want. I'll go up to the guys who nobody knows anything about that, you know, only because I'm kind of sick. Do I know these stories and I'll interview these guys. And a lot of the fans in the comments will be like, Hey man, I love that you're bringing, you know, bringing to light some of these backup players. I talked yesterday for about 10 minutes to Javon Kinlaw, um, and and we talked about fishing and the holidays and his little his two little girls and and there's just a lot of good stuff if you take the time to, you know, kind of go around the locker room and talk to John Feliciano and talk to Aaron Banks and you know I mean just just you know go there's great stories everywhere you look talk to Cleveland Farrell. Uh, you know, talk to Logan Ryan, talk to, I talked yesterday to Samuel Womack about, about Toledo and the barstool broadcast of Toledo and Wyoming. And, you know, just, you know, there's a lot of great little stories around the locker room. If you take the time to kind of fish them out and I think it's good stuff. I enjoy it. Uh, I hope the uh, Niner fans enjoy it. You can check it out on the crew. Well, show. I'm, I'm going to do the one thing that I hate doing. I'll give you a compliment here, Larry. <laughs> uh, and I always thought that this was one of your, you know, what you, you know, you, we all have strengths and weaknesses as broadcasters, as former radio guys. Um, I, I always thought that you took interviews out of that formal designation of an interview and you turned them into conversations. Like, I think that that's, that's the goal. Your, that's one of your best strengths as an interviewer. It ceases 
being an interview and it becomes a conversation and there is a give and take. It's not just me taking, taking information from you. You get to know people, they get to know you a little bit. And there's a, an informal, an informality. Is that what I'm looking for? There's a, um, you know, a, you know, not all, not all interviews need to wear three piece suits. Some can wear a t-shirt and jeans. Your interviews wear t-shirts and jeans and they're very comfortable. And I'm done being nice to you for the rest <laughs> of the show. You suck. <laughs> you know, I appreciate it. But you know what? I've been accused at times of asking questions that are too long. But when you're just in that locker room, some of the best interviews that I start with, I'll just go up to a guy and be like, hey, what's going on, bro? Or, um, hey, what's up, man? Uh, how, how you doing? How's your year going? Or where are you from, man? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Give me a little bit about your background. You know, just the the, the short, quick question where they're doing all the talking and you're just kind of right reacting off kind of off of what they're saying. My go, um, my one of my go to. I don't know this guy very well. I'm trying to just peel back a few layers of his onion and and get to know him a little bit better. I'd always drop the. Tell me about your hometown. Yeah, tell, that's a good tell one. Me, tell me about your hometown. Did your high school have a good football stadium, or was it you know, or did you have lousy grass and the 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 turf around it, the the track around it was all you know crumbly and it sucked. Tell me about your high school. And that gets guys talking. And so, uh, what do you do? You know, it's another great one because you don't think of all the different things there are to do. Just go, hey, man, what do you do? What What are you into when you're not, when you're not? I mean, I know you guys are all into lifting and eating and practicing and more lifting and film. When you're not doing all that stuff, man, what, what, what do you like to do? Right. And this, it's like, by the way, this is where the golfers get really excited and they lean forward because they want to tell you about their golf game. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, Kinlaw's like, you know, I like to fish. And then the first of the fo the follow-up question is, what do you fish for? And then as soon as they say, oh, man, wide-mouth bass, what, what do you use as bait? Absolutely. <laughs> Get into what do you use. Uh, Niner, Niner Banks is Larry's the Oprah of the Niners. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. I've uh, never seen Oprah spelled <laughs> with an H before, but that was good. <laughs> uh, Greg Escons is my, his favorite is my one with Kinlaw. Yeah, I just I really do enjoy that part of it. I, I it's it's really cool. And um, somebody came up to me one time and said, do an interview like you're just like you're making a friend for the first time. Like if you met somebody, you're standing there, whatever, you're waiting in the line at, uh, you know, the DMV and somebody chats you up and you and starts asking you about yourself. How do you talk to that person? You know, do you how much do you tell them about yourself? How much you know, what do you show interest in them? Well, and it's um, so simple though. No matter how approachable and friendly and disarming your questions or presentation may be, you got to have a willing participant. And there's an right. awful lot of guys who have been burned by plenty of media members yeah, who are, you know, just grabbing, looking for clickbait and headlines, and they feel that this is, you know, a, a an untrustworthy transaction. So again. Enough, enough compliments for you, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you do a good job. You do. Uh, and, and, and it's what my favorite you? part of the week, Damon. I love going down there and just walking up to some, you know, random guy um, and just be like, hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? You know, I was talking to Ray Ray yesterday and I'm like, hey, Ray Ray, what's going on? And uh, I said, you're going to get back out there this week. We're having a whole conversation, uh, you know, back and forth. He's talking to me. I'm talking to him. I realize he's on the phone. You know, after like four questions, after like four questions back and forth, I realized, hey, you're on the phone, aren't you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, geez, sorry, man. I apologize. 
<laughs> fucking idiot. You know, it's like literally asked him like three questions while he was on the phone. I just couldn't tell. Well, you know, become a better interviewer, Larry. You, you, the theme of this segment. You win some, you lose some. That's all right. That's all right. Um, uh, for you betters out there, you know, the, I remember when the uh, the the Ravens were playing that we feel disrespected that the Niners are favored over us, and boy, they came out and made a statement. Uh, but the Niners have been favored now in twenty five straight regular season games. That's the second longest active streak in the NFL. The Chiefs were favored in twenty seven straight regular season games and the Niners exist in a world where Larry, I, I think they're going to be touchdown favorites over anyone to and through the Super Bowl. Should they reach it? I mean, I, who is the, team? the Rams or the Niners, the Niners, the Niners. Did I say Rams? I thought you said Rams, but go oh, ahead. Well, Maybe sorry, I just yeah, heard it yeah, this is not, this is, this is look at it this way. We could call it Rams wake up. We'll see if we get any copyright <laughs> with this trademark infringement there. But no, we're talking Niners, obviously. Um, I, I think they're a touchdown favorite in every game they play the rest of the way. You know what? It's weird. It's like um, my good friend Kyle Posey, who writes for Niners Nation, wrote a phenomenal piece, and I, I would encourage everybody to go check it out. Um, and then I saw Stats do a thing with Grant, and he kind of stole from Posey, and uh, and they turned it into a little a little uh, uh, real. And it was basically the 49ers had a 20 day rest disadvantage this year against their opponents. Their opponents collectively had 20 more days of rest than the 49ers. And yet the Niners had a league high 11 double digit wins and had the best offense in the NFL. And they got the second highest point differential in the league to Baltimore, who's number one. So in some ways, the 49ers, despite their one seed, in some ways, they're even better than I think people even realize because they had that rest disadvantage and yet they won their games by a large margin all year long. So, um, you know, it's it's it to me, it's really interesting. And and um, it's, uh, you know, if you say what's the Niners biggest weakness going into this thing? You know, you can debate that, um, but there I think the 49ers are going to fire in these playoffs. I think they're going to come out rested, ready, and full tilt. And I think we haven't really seen them put all three phases of the game together and really deal somebody their, their fastball. And I think when they bring that fastball in the playoffs, teams are going to get overwhelmed. I think the second half against the Eagles was their was their fastball that that was their they called their own shot they pointed to the center field and they crushed it. I mean that was the, I thought that was maybe the apex of the entirety of the how dangerous are these guys. I would also submit Dallas coming, out of, coming out of the bye week against the Jaguars. Yes. Like that game, that that game, game felt like okay if you're gonna be who we think you might be, you're gonna show us some fangs now and they did that so i i i I thought that that was a good statement um another reason to like brock resting is look how well brock threw the rock in that game against jacksonville i mean he really showed arm strength that throw at the beginning of the third quarter where he led uh he he pump faked to iuke on the shallow cross saw kittle one-on-one against devin lloyd 
along the, the right on the wheel route on the right side. And then without being able to step into it, just released it high and still led Kittle past Lloyd 35, 40 yards down the field. He showed serious arm strength in that game. And that's another reason I love the, the Brock rest concept is I think, you know, Brock has a Brock's got enough of an arm and people who said he didn't were wrong, but he's, he shows different arm strength at different points in the season. And I thought in that game in particular, after a week of rest, his arm looked remarkably fresh and he made some big time throws. So we know he can throw on time and we know he can throw with accuracy, but if you can mix in the power part of his arm, I, I think he's the complete thrower. Uh, so I, I'm, when, when I'm excited to rest, see what he looks like. Well, I mean, when we think about rest too, again, uh, yeah, my mind goes to quarterbacks and, you know, the pitch count on his arms and, 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 and all that stuff to me, the real difference in the 49ers isn't so much their offense when rested. It's that defense. And this is something that you and I did talk about on Monday uh, on that version of wake up. And you even went through the missed tackle stats, how fewer tackles are missed when the Niners are rested. And I just think you get a better defensive line out of this rested defensive line. They had five sacks against the Jacksonville Jaguars coming out of that bye week. And that's where I thought the real tooth of that game was. Yes, it was a good game for Brock. I, they won 35 to three, right? Wasn't that it? I, let me, I don't remember the final, but that was Chase Young's first game. 34 to three. So it was, you know, they took... Uh, they, they took Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and Calvin you know, Ridley and Evan Ingram. Yeah. And they just turned off the spigot of whatever they wanted to do offensively. And it's the defense that is the difference to me. The offense has been pretty freaking consistent all year long. Again, this is again, something that you and I've talked about, even in the three game losing streak before that bye week. Yeah. Brock had him set up for a field goal. To win in Cleveland, field goal missed, you lose. And then when he threw more interceptions than anyone wanted to see him throw, uh, he also produced over those two games, the disappointing games against uh, Minnesota and then uh, the, the best of the Bengals. Uh, he, he still had over 700 yards of offense from the line of scrimmage. Brock did between his arms and his legs in those games. So bad afternoons still produce 700 yards of offense uh, just on Brock's arm, you know, and, and legs. So the offense has been there all year. It's what kind of a defensive afternoon that I think rest really changes for the Niners. Totally agree. Um, and, and if you're saying within that point, Dre Greenlaw is the guy that I want to get off the field in this game as soon as possible. Even yep. if he starts, get him off the field, Make Jalen Graham active. Make D. Winters active. Who cares if the Rams gash you uh, in the run game a couple times because the rookie backers take a bad run fit? Who cares? Get Greenlaw healthy and fresh, and you're going to the bowl. He he's that good. He should have been a Pro Bowler. He's an he's an alternate. Uh, he's never been a Pro Bowler, which is um, absolutely amazing. It's amazing that on one team. Fred Warner consistently gets recognized as a Pro Bowl player around the league. Dre Greenlaw has consistently not, and yet they're literally equals. I mean, I watch every game. I watch. I roll that thing back and forth. Dre Greenlaw's every bit the linebacker that Fred Warner is. Warner's a little bit better in coverage. Greenlaw's a little bit more physical. Uh, Greenlaw's a little bit better breaking down in space. 
Warner's a little bit more of a, of the let's go guys set the tone verbally and and emotionally, but they're both Pro Bowl linebackers, and it's like the league only recognizes Warner, and they don't ever recognize Greenlaw. And Greenlaw is a, a he's a bad bad man. I mean he he really is. And you know what? He doesn't give an s about it. I've talked to him about it. He 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 would love to be recognized, but he's all about the team and he's all about the W. He will play hurt and he 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 wants he lives to just rock guys. And um those are the kind of guys that I love to love to uh be a fan of. And I to me, Damon, if Greenlaw is going at full tilt, nobody stands between the Niners and the Bull. So there are two kinds of construction crews. There's construction crews that build shit and there are construction crews that take shit apart, right? You know, you, so they're, they're, they're a deconstruction crew. Fred Warner is the foreman of the 49ers deconstruction crew, but Dre Greenlaw is the wrecking ball. Yeah, I mean, he really is. So they just, they do, they play with a different oomph to them with a well-rested, my shoulder, my knee isn't barking at me, Dre Greenlaw. So, yeah. And these guys did. are such freaks as far as athletic ability. I mean, Greenlaw had a game where he hurt his shoulder, hurt his ribs, hurt his thigh, and rolled his ankle. And I'm talking to him, at, and it was one of the night games earlier this year, and I'm talking to him in the locker room after the game. And I'm like, dude, it looked like you rolled that ankle pretty bad. How's it? How is it? And he's like, you know what? It, w- it was bad at first. It looked really bad. And then he starts jumping up and down. He's like, nah, but it's feeling pretty good right now. I'm like, dude, you're jumping up and down. You fully rolled that ankle. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's these, these guys are built in a diff- totally different way. It's, it's an amazing thing watching uh, the abuse their bodies take and how they can endure it. Um, but that guy's just, it's funny when you, when I start talking to him about, about hitting people, he gets this like Cheshire cat grin, you know, he's like, he, he lives to blow guys up. And a couple times I've asked guys in the room this year, Hey man, you know, shit's going down and, um, you know, a bunch of dudes are rolling up on you in a bar and everybody wants to go outside and brawl. And you could have one guy in this room, you know, to, to cover your backside, who are you taking? And guys literally, We'll sometimes start looking around the room. You know, they start looking around the room. And then the votes, the guys who got the most votes this year, Javon Kinlaw, which of course, I mean Kinlaw is just scary. And Greenlaw. Greenlaw people really and Jawan Jennings got some votes too. Yeah, that makes sense. JJ's a, JJ's a tough guy. Some scrap um, with him. Yeah, but um, Greenlaw is you know, people would be like, oh, yeah, man, I want Dre. I want Dre rolling up. If stuff's going down, I want Dre rolling up covering me. And I told Dre about that, and he just smiled. But, you know, it's funny. He, you know, I, I, I joked him after the Pittsburgh game that next week. I'm like, in the second half of that game, Dre, were you allowing receptions in front of you just so you could hit guys? <laughs> you know, because he seriously, I mean, they played a soft coverage, and he got some major hits in on Najee and, and the Steeler uh, receivers in the second half of that game and he wouldn't cop to it. But I asked some of the other guys and they're like, yeah, I think he might've been allowing, allowing a little extra space because it's week one. He wanted to hit. 
a couple of comments that I'm seeing, Larry. Uh, you know, first of all, a very nice compliment from Jesus Manuel Menea Garza, who says, I'm enthralled. Thanks for the great NFL YouTube show. So much better than Bay Area Sports Talk Radio. By the way, I'm in the uh, DFW, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Gracias. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. There is another thing. He's, uh, he said brilliant, enthralled. There's another complimentary thing, but that's the same guy, same avatar. So thank you, Jesus. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, that is the, the nice compliment. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. A guy named John Shoop says, I like Brock, and I think he's the guy. But... He's never shown arm strength, in my own opinion. He can make most of the throws he needs to, but it's a bottom five NFL arm of all NFL starters. John, the key there was your phrase, in my own opinion. Your opinion is wrong. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, but Brock Purdy and arm strength, there's no question there. He's got all the arm strength any quarterback needs the, the the whole concept of can he on one knee throw it from the 20 to the back of the other end zone? Kyle Bowler. Remember Kyle Bowler? Yeah. Uh, you don't throw from your knee, and that is ridiculous. Brock Purdy, for a guy who doesn't have any arm strength, leads the league in downfield passing, leads the league in uh, um, you know yards per attempt, yards per throw. Like you can't get or measure a downfield arm and have it come out better in the measurement than what Brock Purdy's shown you. So like you said, in your own opinion, John said he wasn't impressed. Well, it's just like, what are we talking about here? Is this, um, you know, this is a game, you know, this is a football game to me. There's two kinds of arm strengths. Either you do have requisite arm strength or you don't. Those are the two categories. If you don't, you probably are a backup or can't play. Um, we saw that with like a, a Tim Rattay and Nick Mullins or, you know, one of these guys, they can make, you know, if they step into every throw, they can make a throw. But if they can't step into the throw, they don't have anything on it. And then there's requisite arm strength. And that's like you can make all the throws. Brock Purdy can make can throw the deep out from the wide hash and put it in that window and get some zip on it. And yeah. he can drive that ball to the sideline. He makes tight so. window throws, and you don't do that without the arm strength. Now, is he John Elway? Is he Flacco? No. 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 I mean, Flacco. There are some Jeff guys. George. Jeff, yeah, Jeff George was just, you know, God kissed him as a baby on his arm. You know, it's right. like a, I mean, it's like literally you'd be like in awe watching Jeff George just play catch with somebody on the sidelines. I mean, you're like, whoa, look at that. You would, watch it. Jeff, you would watch Jeff George throw one deep ball and you'd ask yourself, how's this guy not the greatest quarterback who ever lived? Like, that's how impressive his arm strength was. The Can I tell you my Jeff George insider story? Please. He's playing for the Raiders. My buddy is working for the Raiders. And he's like, I'm talking to him. And he's like, looking out the window at the Raider facility. And he's like, hey, Jeff George just drove up. And I'm like, so what's the big, what's the story there? And he's like, it's the player's off day. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, so he's a hard worker. And he's like, no, no, no. And, and I, so, so I said, well, what, why is he there to get treatment? No, he's not hurt. So what's he there for? <laughs> he says he comes in to make long distance phone calls 
at the on the on the on the at the facility, charge him to the team, and then leaves. He would duck into an office, make long distance phone calls on the Raiders' dime, and then take off. You're making multi million dollars a year, and you're awesome. and this is pre cell phone, of course. Hey, Larry, that's, you know, if you want to be rich, if you want to stay rich, it's, it's one thing to get rich. Can you stay rich? And, <laughs> and uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff knew his career was on borrowed time, even with that glorious God-kissed arm of his. So, yeah, saving distance on long-distance phone, save, saving money on long-distance phone calls, that's, that's a brilliant move, if you don't mind me saying <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, you know, Bronson, it says, accuracy over arm strength all day, and that's Purdy. And Bronson, all I can tell you is that I great name. Coming, yeah, great name. Uh, I keep coming back to something that it's just so simple. It gets overlooked, and it's literally like the T-shirt that Steve Young should wear. Do you throw a catchable ball? Brock Purdy throws an eminently catchable football. It, that means it's not thrown too hard. Everything is not a demonstration of my arm strength. It is, let me put it in the spot to allow you to make a play on this ball and not allow the defender to make a play on this ball. And that's what Brock Purdy does well. So I think Steve Young is one of the smartest guys to ever play professional sports. And I always return to that saying, do you throw a catchable ball? Different sport, another guy who was even better at Steve, you know, like, I'm going to tell you right now, Steve Young was a great quarterback. He wasn't as good to his position as Greg Maddox was to his. Greg Maddox is one of the five greatest right-handed pitchers to ever live. There is no debate to be had. That's who Greg Maddox was. Greg Maddox didn't have arm strength. But he could... He well, could no, wait a second. As a cub, he did. Well, yeah, no, 95 in the 89 but, uh, LCS, but he, he could knock a pin off of a flower pedal. Oh yeah. He was awesome because he was so accurate. He could control the ball and Greg Maddox. I remember late in his career in Atlanta, as he was losing the, the miles per hour on his throw, he was asked about it and he said, go stand on the side of a highway, no radar gun. Did that car just go past you at 94? or 89 miles an hour to your naked eye. What do, you, what do you think that was? Oh, you can't really tell, can you? So that's how important he thought it was. Now, he also, again, could could paint like Picasso uh, on, on corners. His his accuracy and ball control were... And the smartest, smartest pitcher I think I've ever talked to. I did an interview right. with him one time, and I was just, like, blown away. Right, and he... he had- and Damon would notice if a batter stepped out and then when he stepped back in if he had stepped a half inch closer to the plate or a half inch up in the box or a half inch deeper in the box he noticed everything yeah it was like he was looking at the game through a terminator eye where everything was being calculated and it's amazing uh, he was an amazingly smart pitcher there i mean it, it he took he took what looks to be a very simple action of just throwing a ball to home plate and he turned it into an art form he really did and he was a great he was just such a great s talker too oh yeah um he you know i I don't know if i ever told you this one but i'm playing uh merced golf club with my buddy whose dad was a member at merced it's one of the best to me merced is better than i've never played san francisco so i can't speak to san francisco golf club which is very prestigious but i've played olympic a bunch of times Merced beats Olympic like 10 times over. I, I love Merced. So we played at Merced 
and we're on a par three in a foggy afternoon in August years and years ago. And my buddy Jay had a couple beers and he, you know, he was kind of cocky and he's like, Hey, they're waving us up on a par three. I go, dude, they're not waving us up. They're not waving us up. They're on the green. He's like, no, they're waving us up. I go, Jay, they're not waving us up. He's like, I'm going to hit anyway. I go, dude, don't just wait for them to finish. Wait for them to finish, dude. He takes out his club. He strikes the ball. It on the fly. It, it hits on the, fr- it, it, it almost hits on the fringe and it hits a guy in the calf and the guy goes down. Okay. Now all four golfers, you MFers, you, and they're kind of walking towards us. They're swinging their clubs. They're pissed. How dare you? I get, we get up there. We, Jay's like, Jay goes, dude, my dad's a member here. You know, he's like, those guys aren't members. He's like, I'm going to tell them what's up. I'm like, Jay, we're going to, you're going to start a brawl with these four guys. On, and you know, I, I love this course. I want to be able to play here again. He's like, don't worry about it. We get up there. Greg Maddox. You muted yourself. I don't hear you. I'm not hearing you at all. Mission control. Well, I'll finish the story as you get your mic back. There we go. Oh, there you go. There Greg Maddox. Glavin. Glavin. Don Sutton and Steve Avery. <laughs> and he hit Don Sutton in the calf. And Don Sutton is really recognizable at this time. He's super tan with like a gr- white, white afro. Hair. Yeah. It was like an afro. That was like a, it was like a white afro, but he's super tan. And, uh, and these guys are swearing at us. And I'm like, dude, it's Maddox and Glavin and, and Sutton. I'm sorry, guys. What are you guys doing hitting up on us? We didn't call you up. Oh, my God. It was, it was classic, classic, classic moment at Merced. So would you, did, did you at least buy him around on the 19th hole? Say, sorry, we uh, nearly tore your Achilles there, Don. Yeah, my buddy Jay uh, gave him the number or said, hey, put it on blankety blanks. You know, my dad's a member here. Just put it on his thing and, you know, we'll, we'll buy you guys around. And when you get back, just tell the bartender that, you know. By the way, the my dad's a member here guy is always kind of a dick. <laughs> of course. To be honest. My dad's a member. I mean, here. what do you think the Olympic Club's filled with? It's a filled with the failed sons of rich people oh, who totally. sit there who sit there and what do you do? I do nothing. I um, you know, I I I, I, I collect uh, money from my parents <clears throat> and I play the Olympic Club every you know five days a week. What do you do? I'm a golfing parasite. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the dumb kid in my family, so I just play golf here at the Olympic Club because my parents wanted to make sure that uh, you know I I stayed off the streets. Right. It was it was golf or jail. I chose golf at a very early age. And by the right. way, have you tried the Wild Bill hamburger hot dogs? They're fantastic. At the Olympic Club? Yes. With the I mean the hot dog burger, the hot dog, the hot dog burger, the Wild oh, Bill the burger. Best. It's yes, very good. Best. Very good. Best. Little. I mean, touch overrated, but you know. It's a little Hard. overdone, but it's but it, there, there's something about a burger and a hot that's shaped in a hot dog that's wrapped up, and you don't have to put any anything on it because it's all got all the condiments, including relish, already on it. Well, that's and there's something nice. about being outdoors, Larry. If I handed you like a warm can of beans at your at your dinner table, you'd be like, "What are you doing?" If I handed you a warm can of beans while we were sitting around a campfire, you'd be like, "These are delicious!" What? Oh my god! <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, uh, lo- location and setting have an awful lot to do with it, which I guess brings us back to Greg Maddox, which is where this story started. <laughs> exactly. 
to, to Brock Purdy and that arm strength. And again, location and timing are two things he has. What I'll agree with you. Brock Purdy, the reason why he drives people nuts, the reason why he drives my buddy Nick Wright nuts and, uh, and, and people don't understand what they're looking at is because he does not tick all the, you can see it with your own eyes. It's all the intangibles. And by saying intangible, you're saying you can't measure it. What, what Brock Purdy is best at is the stuff you cannot measure with a stopwatch or a ruler or a yardage marker. You can't see it with the naked eye. It's right up here. This right. is where Brock Purdy wins football games. And not right here, here, right here in the not, chest, too. He's got a great heart. Not here, not here, not here, here is where right. he's winning games. So, yeah. And I mean, it's like when I talked to him for the first time, I was like, wow, dude, this guy, because you could tell he was smart as hell, but you could also tell this is the guy that shows up to beat you. He doesn't show up for the girls. He doesn't show up for the fancy car. He doesn't show up for the for the uh, popularity or the fame. He shows up for the W. And if you to me the if you want to say what's the play that illustrates who Brock Purdy is, it was his rookie year against Seattle up there when he's trying to ice the game and he slid forward and extended the football. He literally looked like he was sliding into second base as a baseball player stealing second base, and then he put the football forward. Kind of reminded me so much of Russell Wilson and how many times Russell Wilson did that to the Niners where he iced the game on offense. Brock Purdy's the kind of guy that he will, he you know, you can put the, you can put the game in his hands in the fourth quarter with a lead, and he's going to work that play clock down to one. Why? Because he wants to win, and he's gonna he's gonna make all the right plays. Why? Because he wants to win, and he's he's passionate about winning, and he understands you win, and everything else takes care of itself. Right. You know, it's funny when we talk about the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. You, you're you're doing really well. Whether you know if your coin has got Montana on one side and Tom Brady on the other. Your your coin is nearly perfect, right? That's no matter which way that coin lands, whether it be Brady up or Montana up, you got yourself a hell of a quarterback. Neither one of those guys checks the boss, boxes of specimen. I mean, John Elway, to me, was one of the single greatest quarterbacks in terms of what he actually accomplished and then just physical raw specimen. John Elway was basically Lamar Jackson with his feet before any quarterback was even allowed to play like that. John Elway was the single best athlete on the field, no matter what field, no matter who was on the field with him, John Elway was the best athlete on that field. And he had one of the single all-time kissed-by-God arms ever given to a human being. But John Elway is not on the who's the greatest of all time coin for a lot of people because he ran into that Montana guy in those Super Bowls. And people are like, well, you know, the Niners were totally dominant. Well, they were totally dominant, but John Elway played terrible in Super Bowl 24. He did. He terrible. also had a coach who was turning around and giving the ball to Sammy Winder 25 times a game instead of letting just John air it out. You know, I mean, you I mean, had a, yeah. a, 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 a coach who was coaching against the strengths of his own team. When you had John Elway, and this was before 
any quarterback was allowed to drop back 45 times in a football game and throw it. Like that didn't happen when John Elway was playing, you know, 25 throws was you threw the ball a lot that day in the NFL back in those days. And the, 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 the Denver Broncos would continue to hand the ball off to nameless faceless running backs instead of just having John Elway take over a football game. Um, you know, it's so funny. Gary Nelson says Brock is a winner. Tell the story about Brock's golf game, wanting to beat Josh Allen at golf. It wasn't Josh Allen. I mentioned to him that Brandon Allen, the Niner third string quarterback. Yeah. I walked up to Brandon Allen. I'm like, Hey, you ever draw, you ever uh, drag Brock out to the golf course? And he's like, no, man, I would take his money. I'm the, I'm the best golfer on the team. You know, this is Brandon Allen saying this Brandon Allen's pretty cocky guy in his own right. And, um, so next, this is like, he's told, tells me this in an interview, like on a Thursday, well, Brock is then at the podium, like 10 minutes later. And I'm like, Hey Brock, um, you know, I was talking to Brandon Allen. He says he's the best golfer on the team. And he said that he would drag you out there, but, um, that he would just take your money that you're not any good at golf. And Brock goes, well, you know, I spent a lot of time, uh, on the golf course, but I was always fishing the ponds um, out there, you know, and, and my dad would be playing and I'd be fishing at the pond and he's like, and you know, my elbow, of course I had the elbow deal this off season. So I didn't get a chance to play a lot. He's like, but when I get my elbow, right, I'll get healthy. And then he finishes with, and I'll take his money. (laughs) It was awesome. And it was like, right there. I'm like, you know what? This is what makes Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy. It doesn't matter if you're playing monopoly or if you're playing his ninth best sport, or if you're just talking about messing around playing golf with your third string quarterback, he wants to win. And dude, there we've all met people like that. My son, Kevin is a little bit like that. Um, as a kid, he's just insanely competitive, you know, just like one of these kids that just has to win, wants to win. You know, uh, if he doesn't win, he's not happy. You know, it's just like, it's a, it's a, it's not everybody has it. Some people want to, they just want to play and they're cool. If they win, they're cool. If they lose, well, those guys don't typically ascend to be NFL quarterbacks. You got to live for the win. Well, I'll, I'll say this about Kevin. Kevin has taken it upon like he, he's very competitive, even in this, in, the, in this endeavor, he takes the growth of my YouTube channel personally. He does personally. He, he is, he is not just doing this, because I'm working with you and his dad and he's trying to do a solid for one of his dad's buddies or anything like that. And he's not doing this because I broke off a very menial dollar amount at the beginning of the year to say, thank you for your time, young man. Instead of going out and partying, you're going to be working on a few videos for me. Here's some money for beer while you're in college. He's doing it because he sees, oh, Damon had 10,000 subscribers, and then I crushed it in the month of December with some highlights for him, and now he's sitting at 15, and I want to keep this thing going, and he wants my channel to grow as much as he wants your channel to grow because his fingerprints are on it, and he takes that shit personally, and I'll tell you, he has talked to you know, m- my wife, Jillian about his career you know, as he thinks of going into tech or whatnot, too, and she walked away going bet on that kid yeah she's yeah. like if, if kevin smart. Krieger were a stock we should buy some right you know he's, he's a smart only- kid but he's very competitive he's very driven he's very there are he's a lot very of, focused there are a lot of smart kids do you want it are you a fighter that's yeah. the difference and he wants it he's a fighter and 
Having said all that, he better make some crackerjack videos out of this right here. This should be his own highlight reel. He should be his own Kevin Kruger short based on this segment alone. Every every good YouTube channel needs a Kevin Kruger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dusty Gold says Kev's coming after Dad's job, and then sometimes he'll be like, "Dad, that live stream you did sucked." And I'm like, "Dude, dude, I'm you know, cut me some slack. I'm you know, I'm doing 19 uh, live streams in a in a week." Like, uh, no excuse, Dad. You should have done this. You should have done that. You should have done this. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, no. It's so awesome. he, I remember early, early in the year, we're talking like week two or three. Like I've just started working with Kevin, just getting to know his rhythm and and know about him. And and instead of you being involved in the text, I'm just texting him directly now. Right. And, right. and um, um, you know, not that I, I, you know, talk to your kid differently with or without you in the room, Larry. I, you know, I, 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 I. I you know, been very open and honest with Kevin. And I remember early on, he would send me something and then I would rename the video what I thought was the better name. Right. And he sent me a text. He's like, stop fucking around with the videos. When I tell you to name it something, name it. And I was like, okay, okay. You know what? He knows more about this than I do. And he knows he knows more about this than I do. And he knows I'm screwing up and he is telling me quit screwing up my job. You hired me to do something for you. I'm doing it for you. Just do what I tell you to do. And I haven't renamed a video since. (laughs) He's like the the foreman too. It's like, he'll he'll tell my 14 year old, Hey, I want this and I want that. And he's like, you know, it's, it's the, the, the Krug show has turned into the Krug family business. Yeah. Kev's the foreman and, and drives everybody, but yeah, no, we, we're having fun doing it. And, uh, but yeah, he's very competitive. Hey, one question I wanted to ask you, we were debating this throughout the week and down at, down with the media and the media room. What do you, what do you view as the Niners biggest issue entering the playoffs? And these were the options that we came up with. The offensive line, which, by the way, was widely celebrated um, with pro bowlers and alt pro bowl alternates, including Colton McKivitz, being rusty because they are going to, you know, have a couple bye weeks. Um, the run defense, Purdy's inexperience, their tackling, interceptions from Brock, uh, you know, the kicker and special teams. Those are like the five or six that we came up with. Yeah. So so chief among all of my concerns are, you know, like, again, I'm not worried about this run defense when Eric Armstead is playing. He hasn't played. That's why I think you've had some, some less than super numbers put up against the Niners lately. Um, uh, Interior offensive line play. Guard to guard would be my, I'm most concerned about that against the wrong opponent. And then outside of that, it's the return game in special teams, either kick return or punt return. And if you're telling me that gets solved because it's Debo and Ayuk the rest of the way, no, I'm less concerned about that. But if it's going to be a Ray Ray McLeod, Ronnie Bell, something could go wrong on any single one of these punt returns. I am worried about it. So I think that my two biggest concerns are going to be alleviated with availability. If Eric Armstead can play, I am less concerned about that run defense. Um, if, if, if we got Ayuk and Debo returning things, I'm less r- worried about that. 
there is no quick fix to the middle of that offensive line. So that to me is my chief concern. 